Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, day nine of the Australian Open, done and dusted. David fresh from the recording booth. Matt and I fresh from just watching loads of it on the telly you say fresh <laughs> but i feel very fresh i mean commentary booth don't i <laughs> something like that anyway i I've, I've overused the word fresh none of us are particularly fresh but we are what are we i mean some of the tennis overnight was glorious we have we are sort of basking in the aftermath of one of the the weirdest matches of the tournament so far that i don't think any of us are quite yet to relive Yet, shall I shall I save that particular delicacy for later in the podcast? Yes. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, shall I start with some potentially very very good news? Oh yeah, go on. Well, subject to there being no reported cases in the Melbourne community of COVID nineteen tomorrow, that is Wednesday, it should be the last day of tennis without crowds at the Australian Open. Now, obviously, there are reasons far bigger than tennis why we hope that there are no cases of COVID-19 in the community tomorrow in Melbourne or anywhere, frankly. Um, but we're a tennis podcast. We're here to talk about the tennis and we are ready, particularly after the match that we're not yet ready to le- relive, we are ready for crowds to return, aren't we? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And we're ready for... Fake crowd noise cheering not to come <laughs> it, along it was after another a double sh- fault. It was another shocker, wasn't it? Although that was very funny, Andrew <laughs> and I were, dis- were, were were very amused in the middle of the night at what we we thought was sarcastic fake crowd use um, about about a no, double I, fault. I think you're overestimating the DJ. <laughs> <laughs> very I think funny. it was complete and total total lack of understanding of tennis rallies. I mean, and when they, again, they might be coming to an end. It must be so tempting to just press them, you know, because they're there. As a, Except as you, there are, I'm not saying there's much, not much to that job. There's a lot of finesse to it. But in terms of the actual nuts and bolts, of one of the only very fundamental parts of it is to press the buttons at the right time and not press them at the wrong times. Hmm. So if you're just pressing them because you can't resist, I'd say you should be excluded from the running 
<laughs> I think my doppelganger must be doing it because I'm sure that I would be rubbish at it. Yeah, maybe they're just sort of emphasising to the Melbourne authorities the importance of, of crowds <laughs> returning. <laughs> they don't oh, want to make it sound too authentic. It feels like a long time ago now, doesn't it, crowds? Yeah, yeah. It really does. Yeah, shows how quickly you just to, quote, new normal. Mm. Oh, mm. that would be great if, if yeah. the tournament could finish with four days of crowds. Fingers crossed. And all being well... Um, the first day with returning crowds Thursday will feature Naomi Osaka against Serena Williams. It'll also feature Novak Djokovic against Aslan Karatsev. We'll, we will, we will, we'll build up to building up to that, I think. Um, but we will perhaps focus on, uh, for now, Naomi Osaka against Serena Williams and the events that led up to that semi-final being Set. We started at one thirty in the morning with Osaka dismissing really Sue Wei Shea six two six two, emphasizing how much of a better player um and a better big moment player than she is than even two years ago when she won the Australian Open title for the first time. I mean it was a it was a performance of ultimate dominance. From Naomi Osaka, I thought. Mm. She was brilliant. Matt, you wrote about that two years ago, didn't you? When we were in Australia, you did that blog and we we linked to it from our newsletter last night. And uh, great read. I mean, when just sort of viscerally, when you were courtside compared to what you saw last night, compare and contrast. I think the main thing is when she played Shea two years ago, I would describe Osaka as frazzled and not really understanding how to play her and going outside of her comfort zone to try and combat Shea's game. Whereas today I saw a Naomi Osaka who was clear-headed and had a definitive strategy which seemed to be to hit the ball hard and up the middle of the court, take away Shea's angles and play with a certain amount of patience and discipline and pick the right time to go for her shots. She just executed it with such control and such calmness and demonstrated the fact that that match is on her racket if she trusts herself to do the right thing. And the player she is now is someone who does trust herself to do the right thing when it matters. Yeah, it was, it was completely different. That match two years ago, I thought Osaka was going out of the Australian Open. I mean, the opening game today was probably the toughest game she faced on serve, where Shea was really attacking her second serve. Once she came through that, she was extremely calm and there was never any doubt in my mind, really, past that first game that Osaka was going to be quite a comfortable winner. This will perhaps prematurely lead us on to Osaka-Serena preview territory, but is there a match in tennis that isn't on Osaka's racket right now? She's beaten so many different Mm. types of opponents and it's always felt on her racket. Muguruza, you Mm. know. I mean, there's there's two players left in this draw who I think would provide an answer to that question. She plays one of them next, Serena, and I would be very interested to see her play Ash Barty as well, Mm. who has an ability to disrupt her game, I think, more than anyone in the world if she's on. Um, I think it could be on Osaka's racket, but I would need to see it. 
she'd have to be to, able she, to declare she'd it. Probably have to play. If she, I suppose it's if she played lights out, do they? Is there anything they can do? You know, that's mm. that's that's a question mark I have. Um, the, the the thing that I noticed today, which is something that I noticed two years ago when she won that U.S. Open, and I think maybe not in the final as much as in the rounds leading up to it, were was her foot speed and her ability to get behind a ball. Mm. Um, and it's it's not something you always notice because often she's just blazing winners all over the place. Because it was Shay and because of the way she plays, I got the sense you talked about sort of the discipline and patience she employed. And, and to me, it was as if she'd gone out and thought, right, I'm going to use my legs today so that she cannot get anything past me. If I get my feet to everything – then my racket can do the talking. Um, but mm. I can't just try and necessarily just blast her off the court. I've got to deal with what she's throwing at me as well. And she, her legs, her feet are moving so quickly. It's like, it's like looking at the road runner, you know, that sort of blurring motion. And, uh, and, and I'm, th- I'm looking at, at Shay and thinking, how do, you, how do you win this? How do you get the ball past her? I, I do not know. Because you're hitting great shots. You didn't, you're doing what you do. I mean, it wasn't her best day, but you do what you do and it's not having any impact. And so that's why I was so impressed. It makes me feel like Osaka has just grown and matured as a player and a and a champion that she loves the spotlight now. She loves her place in it because she's not trying to be what anybody's told her in the past, maybe when she was growing up, She that you have to be like. She's just her and she's made that work for her. She's an inspiration person. <laughs> That is how Serena Williams described Naomi Osaka, oh. which I kind of loved. Uh, David, this match was played at one thirty in the morning UK time. Why were you watching it? That was a very good the, question. That was not the plan we discussed. I 100% <laughs> had no intention of waking up for it, even though I desperately, desperately wanted to, because I thought it was just silly to try to wake up at whatever it was, one thirty, and then stay up all the way until my shift started at 7am and then do what has turned out to be six, seven hours of commentary. And then a podcast. And then a podcast, which we're now doing with my bloodshot eyes looking at you. Um, however, my 4.30 alarm call wasn't required because I woke up at precisely 10 past two and that was the end of things. It just literally never happened to me. I can't even can't even imagine that scenario. And then it was a, it was such a quick match that I had about an hour and fifteen minutes to kill before Grigor Dimitrov got on the court. An hour and fifteen minutes to get yourself pumped. <laughs> I mean that's a that's a that's a decent nap right there, David. An hour and fifteen minutes. Well, I had a go, right? But I, I'm not the best napper. Okay, there are, there are things I do better than napping, as you can probably tell. Right. Uh, so Naomi Osaka uh, wins through. She knows exactly who's waiting for her in the next round. She she says, oh, usually I try not to look at my draw, but everyone's been asking me about my draw this whole tournament because of how rough it was. You know, remember that quote that we cited in the preview podcast about how she loves a tough draw? Um, so she said, <laughs> look, of course I know that Serena's waiting for me because everybody's been telling me about this draw. And she said, um, she was asked whether she'd be watching um, Serena and uh, and Halep play uh, later on. And, and she said, yeah, of course, I watched all of Serena's matches, which is just cracking. 
It's just, uh, yeah, a great line. And very relatable. <laughs> yeah, very relatable. Absolutely. So, so Osaka wins through uh, pretty straightforwardly. David has an hour and a quarter of attempting to nap. Uh, and then Dimitrov Karatsev happens, which we'll come on to later. And then there's another gap during which was there any attempted napping, David, or just. No. No. Was it? David was working at this point. Right, yeah. okay. Just, just chatting on the radio by then. Basking in the pumpedness of Karatsev Dimitrov and building up to Serena Halep. No, I was on a bit of a downer to be honest. Mm. After Don't Dimitrov, give the Karatsev. game away. Yeah. People, are, people are hanging on for the big Karatsev Dimitrov section later. That's why I've teased <laughs> it. <laughs> but first, the big Serena Halep section. Uh, Serena was extraordinary. It was. Look, it was a more competitive match, I think, than this scoreline lets on. 6-3, 6-3 to Serena. She's into the Australian Open semis for the ninth time. Um, a Grand Slam semi-final for the 40th time. Uh, and she has equaled Roger Federer's record of most Grand Slam wins. Uh, 362, I think, and counting. Um I mean, Federer's counting as well. He's just counting from more of a backseat position just at the moment, um, which is all very extraordinary. She she was in she was in trouble in that second set. She had to win the last. Well, she didn't have to, but she did win the last five games of the, of the match in that second set from twice being a, a breakdown. Um, Patrick Moratoglu described it as vintage Serena. It's hard to argue with that, really. It was. It felt vintage. Yeah, I I felt like we've been moving in this direction anyway all week long. But I really feel we're learning something about Serena, where she is right now, both with that performance, which yeah, it was fantastic because I thought Simona Halep played well and did what she can do to make life difficult for Serena. She was moving. She was hitting. She was trying to make it physical, trying to trying to bring movement into the match because Samantha Halep's one of the best movers in the world and yet Serena was happy to go toe-to-toe with her, side-to-side with her. Yes, she was finishing as many points as she could on her serve and she was really bringing out the heavy artillery with the ground strokes, but she was a match for her from the baseline, which the woman turns 40 in September. That is not normal. Um, and she is not normal. She is a superhero (laughs) as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, and she showed again, just how great she is because I didn't think this level of tennis, I thought she might win another grand slam. I thought she would last year, but I thought this level of tennis was probably beyond her now because this did look like the Serena of old. And then I found it very interesting when she was interviewed on court afterwards, saying and admitting that Patrick and her had discussed how she'd got to bring defense into her game and, and be able to move. And, you know, she'd, she'd been working, obviously she needed to get fit again, but she was just buzzing in that interview Mm. afterwards. I mean, she was like a, a kid who's just reached her first quarterfinal or semifinal and is just so excited about it all. And that's, infectious isn't it mm. yeah it was it was jim courier who mentioned the word movement i think and serena's face lit up as though to say oh you've noticed 
<laughs> because it has been brilliant, hasn't it? And yeah, she was she was dancing in the tunnel afterwards. I don't know whether you saw that um, on the the world feed footage. Oh, right. I saw she was walking back to her back to the locker room dancing. Yeah, um, I agree. Vintage Serena. The only thing that was slightly off was her serve, which ended up, in my opinion, making the rest of her performance all the more extraordinary because I think of a serve generally and especially Serena's serve as such a foundation for her, for her for the rest of the game to flourish from that. And yet it was actually her return which was providing her that stability in the match because every return game she was threatening Halep. The first return of the match she hit was a 96-mile-an-hour forehand winner which she just stepped into and that was... A sign of things to come, really. Um, her movement, as you said, was impeccable. Again, the way she, the way she trusts it on the big points, so she doesn't have to go for winners. She can hang in the rallies with someone like Halep. We haven't seen for quite a long time, and yeah, it, it's it's all made me change my perspective on Serena a little bit. I think in the last few years, I've sort of been picking her to win. Grand Slam titles on the basis of history, on the basis of, oh, well, it's Serena. She's got to get another Grand Slam title. Of course she will. That's why she's playing. Even though the reality of what we've been seeing in front of us has actually been suggesting, actually, maybe the level's not quite there and maybe there are other players in the draw playing better than her. It's it's a total switch for me now, this tournament, because the reality of what I'm seeing is telling me that she's playing... Grand Slam winning tennis and maybe Osaka's playing as well as her maybe Barty but she's right there her level is there and yet it's now it's the recent history which is putting the doubt in my mind because I'm thinking okay she's playing so well but she's had four Grand Slam finals in the last few years where she hasn't won and a Grand Slam semi-final at the US Open where, where she hasn't won so I need to see this tennis again in those matches so it's it's a it's a total flip for me in terms of how I'm viewing Serena this tournament. That's so interesting and so so well put. I it's hard to disagree with any of that. I I think if she, I mean this is a ri- ridiculous. If I'm not suggesting she ought to have been or whatever, but if she had she, if she had been playing this tennis when she first came back, she'd have won twenty four and beyond by now. The problem is in the time that it's taken her to get back to this level, the others have got so much better and there's a there's a group of them. It's not just one she has to get past here. If she does beat Osaka, she's probably got got Barty. Um that that is the problem. I, I agree with you. I see that level and I think that level is sort of in theory good enough to win a grand slam. But I, I see that level in in a lot of players now. There may also be scar tissue that has built up over the last two or three years from those Mm. missed opportunities. But I'm increasingly starting to feel a way that I didn't feel at the start of the tournament, partly because one of the people I'm going to talk about came in with an injury. But I'm just starting to feel like the weight of history, rather than holding Serena Williams and Rafael Nadal back, may make them unstoppable. God, imagine if this is the tournament where Mm. Serena gets 24 and Nadal gets 21. That's 
how I'm starting to feel oh my. about it. Is it now, really? I re- when, I did, realize, when did you first have that moment of, oh, well, that could be a thing? Yesterday. I nearly said it on the podcast yesterday and we ran out of time. Um, but There's always time for a line like that, David. It just, I was probably it just, waffling on about dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is that when I look at Nadal's draw, for instance, it's it's so it's still so rough from here on paper. He is he's got Sitsabas, Medvedev, and then Djokovic. Most likely, that's that's what you'd expect. But I also think with him that who who's going to stop him? Who's going to stop him if he he has got his sights on this record finally after twenty years of his career? How do you stop the guy? Right. And then I look at Serena and I think, well, there you go. There's somebody else just as great, arguably maybe even greater, or certainly they're, they're equals. And she's she might just have the force of personality and in her own mind greatness, her own perception of who she is. And the other two players that she's likely to come up against, Osaka and Barty, have this perception of who she is and how great she is. How do you stop that? I think Barty has that more than Osaka. I don't think Osaka carries any baggage onto the court against Serena. She's still her hero. Even though she's beaten her, uh, even though she's become even better since beating her, if Serena I've never really, seen that affect her before. If Why Serena would it now? really turns up and really lays it on, Oh, for I'm sure. Just, I'm just for very sure. interested to see. I think that matches a 51-49. But... I'm just very interested to see whether, whether Osaka maybe slightly becomes inhibited by that. It's, it's an interesting thought. I, I hadn't had that thought. I think if Serena beats Osaka, it will be, be because Serena's playing so well mm. rather than the occasion or the match affecting Osaka. But it, it could happen. But I, th- I think that, that And we that, get to see it. That level of playing well may slightly shake... Osaka and and it may be just enough to win a third set tiebreak or something like that. I don't I don't expect Osaka to just freeze and be not very good. I just wonder whether cuz I've got it the other way around in my pre-tournament predictions I've got Osaka beating her because I didn't foresee this level from Serena Williams. I I foresaw Serena getting to the semi-finals because of who she is and how good she is but playing almost on memory. This isn't her playing on memory. This is her playing properly good stuff really really good two inspiration people on the court together at the same time it's as it's as much as one can wish for um she was asked in her press conference when the last time she felt like those the way it was phrased was that those longer defensive rallies like i think the one that was specifically referenced was there was a 20 shot rally in the three all game in the second set, she was asked, when was the last time you've, you felt like those longer defensive rallies belong to you? And she said, probably the summer of 1926. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good line. Yeah. She is. She's so pleased with herself. She's so pleased with herself to be playing like this. And I guess for, for the plan to be working. This was obviously something, it's not happened by accident. They set about doing this and, you know, we all, we all know what it feels like in our very small ways to work hard at something and to see, you know, to see that cause and effect. It's mm. a very satisfying feeling and it's just great seeing Serena buzzing 
seeing her, it feels like sort of kind of experiencing something new in tennis at 39 years of age with 23 Grand Slams. That's really infectious. Um, yeah. yeah if it was your wonderful. football team, you'd say that it was like we've got a new signing. <laughs> Which isn't always new that New manager great. bounce. The, oh, yeah. David's all about the new manager bounce <laughs> at the moment. It's like we've just signed Cristiano Ronaldo or something or Lionel Messi. Right, yeah. yeah. I, I, that's or, not, not very or, likely, um, is it? Or Dianya. Yeah. <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> um, so is anyone prepared to say what they think is going to happen in Serena and Osaka? She also called Osaka a cool cat. Well, she's not wrong. Yeah, she's, she's not. None of this is contestable. It's all very true. <laughs> Uh, anyone prepared to say what they think is going to Well, I think, I think the big question is, am I prepared in my case to just go back on what I said at the start of the tournament, which is that Osaka would beat Williams? Uh, are either I think of you, you said Osaka would beat that? everyone. Well, I did, yeah. Um, yeah, so did I. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so did you? No, I, I said Barty was going to beat Osaka in the final. Right. Well, that's still on. Mm, I feel quite shaky about that. Did, did you I, have Serena think... in, in the semis as well? Yes, I had Serena losing mm. to Osaka in the semis. So I'm going to stand by for, it, right. but I don't feel confident. Yeah, I think I agree. I do think Serena will have to serve better mm. against Osaka than she did against Halep because Osaka will probably serve better than Halep. And I don't think Serena will be able to punish Osaka's serve in the same way she did with Halep. Of course, she's capable of doing that. She's got the best serve ever. So if she finds that, then that could be the piece she needs. I can't remember watching what I felt like was a truly great Serena performance in which she didn't serve very well. That is, I mean, that's... Because she always serves well, well <laughs> until until today. Yeah, but it's always, or certainly when she's playing well, it's all built around the serve. And actually, the, the serve is the one thing that never seems to go, yeah. really. Yeah even when she's playing badly. And and serving well sort of gives her the confidence to take risks elsewhere because, you know, she feels like she's always going to get a couple of free points. So, mm. yeah, I, I, that is extraordinary today, but I agree with you, Matt. Everything has to be against Osaka in this form, in this mood. Everything has to be as good as it can be, even with this revamped Serena. I reserve the yeah. right to wait until tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. me too. And, and Hang it's on, not you'd just... already declared, Matt. You can't re-declare tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, Matt. <laughs> Sorry. And and thing is, Osaka's in this tournament having saved match points, and there's something about that mm. which I just think gives her an extra edge it's very, as well. Very she, Australian she, Open. She, she yes, it is. She's spoken about. She that. has. Yeah. She she said it 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 was on her mind in the previous match that I've forgotten who it was against. Who did she play before Shay? No, so it was Muguruza before Shay. The Muguruza match, yeah. Muguruza, who she saved the match points against. Yeah, she was asked about about that afterwards and she said, yeah, it does give you a feeling of not invincibility, but, you know, uh, a, a I, it doesn't matter how far my back is against the wall, I can come out of this. Kind of, It was kind of an Andrescu type quote, wasn't it? Mm. Um, yeah, it's a little shield, I think, mm. but, Shield of confidence. Mm. Mm. Okay, well, you can both you can both have twenty four hours, and I reserve the right to change my mind in the next twenty four hours. I mean, nothing's going to change in that time. Um, 
but yes, yeah, but you, our- you can have you can have that. You need something to fill your big gap in the middle of the night when there's no tennis on and you can't sleep. David. Correct. I need to be able to gather my thoughts, Catherine, quietly okay. on my own over a cup of tea and six digestive biscuits. You say that, but I know you've got a fridge full of milk and beer. Correct. Yeah, like a champion. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So, David, as our middle-of-the-night Dimitrov Karatsev correspondent, Mm -hmm. all in the name of the pod... Obviously. Um, Could you fill me in on what happened, please? Yeah, because I I mean, I wasn't shadow swinging backhands in my room on my own in the middle of the night (laughs) at all while it was on. Um, What happened was... That's why you're not getting to sleep, David. Yeah, I know. I'm not very good at the sitting still thing, you know. Um, What happened was that Karatsev broke in, I think, the first game and then Dimitrov won about six games in a row. And he was playing exactly as I thought he would play in order to beat the guy, which was use his movement. Um, he, he's developed 
a really good backhand slice on defence, I think, which diffuses players with power. And that's what he did. And he just stayed in the rallies. And there was a stat that popped up that Karatsev in the first set hit two winners and 19 unforced errors. And he also, he played... He played a, a game, I think, of about nine minutes on his own serve, followed by another one of about seven minutes. And he looked really hot and really bothered by the conditions. And you thought, there's just he's got no chance. Dimitrov has just come in with the perfect strategy and, he's, and he seems mature enough to carry it out. Second set continues the same way. Dimitrov had chances, didn't take them. It gets to four all and then... My feeling was that Dimitrov choked at four all. He suddenly lost all of his timing. He started to kind of lean over to his way too far over to his left on his serve, and he was double faulting and almost falling over with the serve. And you were watching rallies, and the ball is just not coming out of the center of the racket a lot of the time. He's leaving it short. Karatsev's gaining in confidence and starting to blast through him. And a couple of break points come and go, and eventually Karatsev breaks. 5-4, serves it out, wins the set, one set all. I still thought, you know, if Dimitrov just gets himself together here, he'll be all right. Then it becomes apparent he's got a physical problem uh, in the third set and his, he's suddenly not moving properly at all. And then by the 4-1 stage of the third set, he is virtually ro- just rolling his arm over and he has the, the trainer out, trainer comes out and he actually says, I, I had a a back spasm problem yesterday and they'd given him heavy ibuprofen painkillers to deal with it, which I reckon had just worn off basically. And his back started to go into spasm again. He went off the court. He clearly was thinking about retiring, but he decided to carry on, loosened him up a bit. Um, but he, it just, he couldn't play. He could not play in the deciding set. It was really, it's really quite jarring to watch somebody who covers the court that well be unable to move properly at all and i mean and i I hate saying it like this because karatsev what a brave guy not to not to completely freeze you know he's 114 in the world he is the first grand slam male debutant he'd never been in a main draw of a grand slam before he's 27 he's never made a main draw at all he's the first one ever in the open or in the open era so you're talking 50 three years the first one and more to to get into the semi-finals uh, of a grand slam when he when he's playing his first one so i feel bad for not leading with him because it's a great story but it was sad seeing grigor walk off the court and try and walk up the little stairs away from the court and he was doing it one step at a time with his bags still over his shoulders and he just looked oh it was horrible to look at um but you know what a gr- great story for Karatsev and, and he I'm not sure I'm not sure Dimitrov would have won anyway once once it went once at all because he was he was rocking and the, this guy's this guy's connection on a tennis ball from both sides forehand and backhand when he connects sweetly I mean he's hitting the ball harder than anybody in the draw that is measured that we saw some stats today and you see it because it's totally flat when he catches it but it still goes in the court. He's pinging the thing around if he catches it right. But my goodness, he can also make some dramatic unforced errors. Yeah, he is the lowest-ranked man to reach a Grand Slam semi-final since 
You can both get this. Goran. Goran Ivanovic Wimbledon 2001. The Karatsev slam, David. Is that the storyline you're overlooking in your Nadal Serena scenario? Yes, it is. <laughs> you just told me how good he is. Look, I mean, I've thought he would lose his last two matches, so you can take what I'm saying with a pinch of salt. He's beaten Oji Aliasim as well, but I would imagine it will end in the next round. I, I sort of just want him to win for the speech. We'll reach the final for the speech. I just No, you'll be disappointed. I just went for the toilet. <laughs> uh, so it turns out Vladimir Putin's secret weapon is um, quite good. Beware of Russia and their weapons. Um, he's got calves like, you know what happens to Popeye when he has spinach and his biceps <laughs> ping up? It looks like that has happened to Aslan Karatsev's calves. He's put together, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's um, a hulking, hulking great thing. Uh, and he will play in his first ever Grand Slam semi-final. Novak Djokovic, um, who is going for Grand Slam number 18. Aslan Karatsev have, have, has played 18 Grand Slam sets in his life. In his life. <laughs> um, so sort of kind of on paper, more of a mismatch you couldn't possibly... Imagine, but you know, if we've learned anything about Aslan Karatsev this fortnight, um, it's that he'll give and it. We have, and we have. I mean, literally everything we know about Aslan Karatsev, <laughs> we've learned this fortnight. We've we've squeezed it all into a into a condensed period of time. Um, I don't think he'll be cowed by the occasion or by the opponent. I think he'll give it a a good old go, and I I don't think he'll be intimidated out there against an eight-time champion who, on the basis of today's performance, although he he beat Alexander Zverev in four sets, it was, to quote Patrick Moratoglu, not vintage. Not vintage by half. Agreed? Yes. I, I do agree in terms of the overall level, I suppose. But part of me thinks... Look, of course, Djokovic would love to have his tennis flowing and be playing brilliantly like we know he can, and he so often does. But part of me also thinks he's absolutely fundamentally in his element. He's got a certain amount in the tank, a certain limit he can push himself to, and it's about navigating that. And he does that better than anyone. And today, I think, against Ferrov was a perfect example of that he came out swinging taking the ball really early hitting it really flat shortening the points it just wasn't Djokovic and he said he needed to do that to kind of loosen up but then at all the crucial moments in the match he became the Djokovic we are familiar with and the important points he knuckled down he got the ball deep he pushed Sverev around and he won them. Mm. He peaked at those right moments. He, he understands the ebbs and flows of five-set tennis better than anyone, I think. And that is what it's about now for him, navigating these matches. And I think more than anything, the injury that he's got is kind of affecting his mood and his attitude a little bit because his tennis doesn't seem particularly compromised when he decides to turn it on. It's just that he doesn't seem to have the energy, perhaps, or the 
wherewithal to have it on for the whole match. He's sort of picking and choosing his moments. So it perhaps makes him a little bit more vulnerable. Verev had a lot of chances in the match, but his instincts to win the right points at the right time with his best tennis are absolutely there. Some of the shots he came up with when he needed to, the serves he found when he needed to, was extraordinary. He uh, he outaced Alexander Zverev today, and Zverev had a a good serving day. I would say twenty three aces for Djokovic to Zverev's twenty one. Um, Zverev hit no double faults for the first hour and a half. He didn't hit many today. There are a couple of ill timed ones, but I would say if you came into this match knowing nothing about Zverev's history of of double faulting, it wouldn't be something you'd be remarking upon. No. from from this match um so yeah i mean it's hard isn't it it's hard balancing how how much you think zverev squandered opportunity versus what matt put brilliantly there about djokovic's ability to manage the ebbs and flows of a five set match yeah. you know he's he's a break up in in the fourth set, Zverev, and he's got multiple break points. I think he had him at fifteen forty, and then again had uh, had advantage to take a double break lead in that fourth set, which would surely have been decisive to take it to a fifth. And yet, as soon as he didn't get the double break, you kind of knew the single yeah. break was its days were numbered mm. I, th- and- I think he will have regrets today and i think the handshake at the end tells you that it wasn't mm. every other time they've had the handshake he's been it's all been very warm and cuddly and and you know generous and not 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 that he wasn't he, he shook hands with him but it was a it was cool and i think it was i think he was really he'll be really gutted by this loss um, and to me, there are two. We've seen Djokovic win this title in two ways over the years. Go back two years ago, and he played absolutely lights out some of the best tennis I've ever seen to beat Nadal, thrash him in the final. A year later, he did what he did today. He managed the ebbs and flows of a match and outlasted Dominic Team, um, and he won the title that way. So, I mean, I think I think you're right about the mood. I think that I think this whole thing, it's. We can speculate as much as we like about the severity of the injury. We we just can't know about that. We know that certain players like Berrettini have had had in, that injury and pulled out. He hasn't. Now you can we can speculate about about it, but that's all we can do because we don't know. But I think that it, the very least you can see is it gets him down and it gets him stressed and and he can't and he just he just, he's just trying to work, find a way to deal with it. Because it's not, it's not. I don't think he finds it easy really to know to, to to deal with it. So it ends up all coming out in all this talking all the time. Um, and and not just that. If you want evidence of exactly how stressed he was, just ask the poor ball kid that had to uh, with a dustpan and brush sweep up the shards of Djokovic's racket that he had discharged so violently into the ground <laughs> um, that it was quite a sight to behold. I mean, the whole, as you said on the radio, David, just the visual of that, this little kid, they'd changed ends by this point. So you didn't quite have the visual of the child at Djokovic's feet cleaning up his 
his rageful mess. Zverev is there at that point, obviously not volunteering to help. Um, but it was it was still a heck of a visual. And, and Laura Robson only gave that eight out of ten. I'm thinking, <laughs> what? I don't see how you could, you could have done it any more violently for than a, he did it for a single smash. Obviously, we've seen the multiple racket smash performed by a couple of different entrants to the competition over the years. But for a single racket attempt, well, it was that's, three, as, that's as good as it gets. He had three goes at, the, at it. I mean, he smashed it three times. Um, I, I think it's as as emphatic a demolition job as you can find. He, he was sort of crouched over. He put his whole body into it, sort yeah. of core included. There was quite a lot of sort of torsion of the core yeah, he, he, involved put, in the manoeuvre. If he puts that into a forehand, he's proud of himself. <laughs> Yeah. Why isn't that a rule, though, that if you break your racket, you have to sweep up the shards? That Great would be amazing. Idea. Yeah, I think, are, are there often shards? I think it's pretty good going for there to be shards. Mm. But maybe now if a rule If you cause be, mess yeah. in any shape or form, you have to clear it up. Agreed. Well, we, you know, we've established this with towels now. Andy Murray's very good at... Um, Doing a little clean-up job of his area after <laughs> uh, upon departing the court. I wish I could teach Billy Jean to do that. Um, Djokovic first, then Billy Jean. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he he wasn't happy. Jim Curry again did the the post-match interview for that one, and you know he's not he's not shutting down the questions about the injury. Um, and now the the cynics would say because it suits him, because it suits him to have kind of the circus play out and the speculation and it's on his opponent's mind. I don't think it'll be on Aslan Karatsev's mind. I think just blasting tennis balls is on Aslan Karatsev's mind. Um, but I, I don't know. The, it, it's on Djokovic's mind as well. As well. So, you know, the, the non-cynics would say, you know, why would he? Just as Nadal does, he's... He's answering a straight question with a with a straight answer of what's in his mind at that time. Um, all I can say is, again, if you came into that match with no prior knowledge, like on the Zverev serve thing, I don't think you'd end up speculating about whether he was injured. I think, yes, it, it took him a, a bit of time to warm up into the mm. match. Maybe in the, maybe in the first set and... and and yeah, he seemed frustrated by something, but I don't think you would see any obvious signs of of physical impairment. But he also wasn't being demonstrative about it. I mean, he wasn't giving the signs. I mean, that people often get irritated by, of, oh, he looks like he's dying, and oh, now he's running around. He wasn't doing any of that today, really. He was just playing the match, really. Mm. So I agree with you. I mean, he, his his game looked but, fine. And but his then afterwards he said, this is as bad an injury as I've ever had yeah. during a Grand Slam. Yeah, I, I, I was tr- – and then and then he reeled off the ones where he's retired from. So I'm assuming he means bad as an injury as I've had that I haven't decided to retire and withdraw. That's all I can assume. Mm. Mm. Does whatever Djokovic has got going on, David – impact how you think about how he would potentially match up with Nadal in the final you've said Nadal to you feels a bit like an unstoppable force he hasn't won a set against Djokovic on a hard court in eight years okay I hadn't thought of that (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, look, stop, I su- stop dismissing the challenge of Aslan Karatsev, Matt. <laughs> I suppose, Matt, th- to be honest, when I see Djokovic right now, it's hard for me to imagine that he produces the form of two years ago. Mm. Uh, and I may be wrong. I mean, but- and yeah, and I agree. And, and therefore, Nadal is bound to get more chances. And unlike Zverev, he would probably be able to take them. I, or I also them. think if Nadal were to beat Tsitsipas and Medvedev and not, mm. and not, you know, imagine, imagine the form he'd be in. Yeah, well, that's that, true. That's it, isn't it? If he, again, stop dismissing the challenge of Andrei Rublev. <laughs> um, but that's it, isn't it? it? If it happens, what would be required for that to happen would, would really frame how we were feeling about Nadal going into Look, that match. Yeah, I think I, you're right. I'm just, you know what I'm like. I'm a sucker for a narrative. <laughs> and I just, I've got the, the narrative. The narrative here, David, is Aslan Karatsev slash all-Russian final. Not, not in my That mind. is a narrative right there. It is, but Serena 24, Nadal 21, breaking records or matching Wasn't records. Wasn't Goran ranked 114 in 2001? Isn't it the exact same ranking? No, he was lower, I think. Okay. It was similar. <laughs> it was similar. than something. <laughs> Underestimate him at your peril, I would say, is just one of the things I've learned about him this year. I'll come on to talk about tomorrow's order of play in just a moment. But uh, first of all, some other, uh, some other notable events from day nine in Melbourne. Matt Ebermau are out of the men's doubles at the quarterfinal stage. They lost 6-4 in the third to Ivan Dodik and Filip Polashek. Ivan Izovic was ranked 125. Okay. There you go. Thank you. Yeah, sad news. Um, <laughs> I need to look more into this, but it is potentially problematic, I think, for them. Not just that they're out, but part of the reason they were playing together again is the Olympics. And I think... Mao is fine. I think he would get into the Olympics, but Herbert needs to slightly improve his ranking, oh, I believe, gosh. in doubles. Mm. Would would Mao play without Herbert? They've tried that I... before and it was sad for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Roger Vassalan. No, surely surely he wouldn't be ranked above Herbert. I don't know. I need to look more into that, okay. but I know that that is a, that, that is a plot line. Please urgently do that. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, Kova and Siniaka were the third seeds in the women's doubles there through to the semis as are Mertens and Sabalenka the second seeds and Nicole Melikar and Demi Schurz the fourth seeds so the second, third and fourth seeds all through um, obviously Stritzova and Shea were the top seeds they went out very early and then that uh, quartet of pairs uh, in the semis is made up by the unseeded pairing of Nina Stojanovic, who we saw play Serena in, I think, the second round and give a pretty good account of herself, really. And Daria Jurak. I've got nothing. But she's an Australian Open doubles semi-finalist. Um, in the wheelchair event, some really interesting storylines overnight. Dida de Groot and Annick van Koot beat and my apologies if I inevitably get this wrong um Cogthatso Montiagne and Lucy Schuker to win the women's wheelchair doubles title De Groot and Van Coot 
won all four majors together in 2019, and this is their seventh title together overall. Um, all of these wheelchair players and, and winners, all the quotes I've read from them overnight from these matches are, I don't know, they seem to be just particularly poignant because they have no guarantees about when they'll next be able to play a Grand Slam tournament. You know, all of us are saying, you know, we take nothing for granted anymore, but that applies tenfold for the wheelchair players just at the moment. There are no guarantees for them at all. And they're particularly grateful, as you were saying, David, just to be able to have played this and had this experience. And yeah, it's... um it's a great feat to have to have got this these wheelchair tournaments to happen um, by Tennis Australia. Um, Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reed defended their wheelchair doubles title. Uh, they beat Stefan Day and Nicholas Pye for the French pair seven six seven six. That's five Grand Slam titles on the bounce for Hewitt and Reed, and a tenth overall, which is not bad going. I would say Dylan Alcott and Heath Davidson, uh, the most Australian sounding name of all time. They beat Andy Lapthorne and David Wagner 6-2, uh, 3-6, in the quad wheelchair doubles final. That's their fourth straight title together. They do love a streak, the wheelchair players, don't they? It's extraordinary. Um, Dylan Alcott, incidentally, is also in the quad singles final. Uh, he'll be bidding to win a seventh singles title. Also, some of these numbers are just extraordinary. And that match is scheduled uh, in prime time in Australia on Wednesday. It's second on the Rod Laver Arena after the Nadal Sitsapas match, which is super cool. It really is, and I, I, I wouldn't mind watching that. I must say. Yeah, he's he's um, yeah he's a big deal in Australia, Dylan Alcott, and and rightly so. I know he did a bit of uh, TV presenting for Channel Seven when they had the rights. See him pop up in adverts for I can't remember what for. Maybe Bunnings. Everything's Bunnings, isn't it? <laughs> Bunnings Warehouse. <laughs> um, oh, I missed that. I missed the adverts for uh, it, it, for for Bride and Prejudice, followed <laughs> by. Bunnings Warehouse jingles. You, you don't when you're over there and you've got it every 10 <laughs> seconds. Um, right then, the schedule, the order of play for day 10 at the Australian Open. It starts at midnight again. Uh, we're, we're back to the slightly earlier starts with Ash Barty against Carolina Mukova. That is followed by the all-American inter-friendship clash between Jen Brady and Jess Pagula. We're mates now, so just calling them by their shortened names. Then it's the all-Russian clash of Andrei Rublev against Daniil Medvedev, also mates, aren't they? And then uh, the night session, as I said, it's pass against Nadal in the singles. Do we see any upsets tomorrow? Well, you'll find out in the newsletter. Um which is going out in a few hours' time. No, because you only pick one prediction for the newsletter, okay. David. Overall. I... No, I don't see any, any upsets happening. I think I that? agree. So you see Barty, Brady, Medvedev, Nadal. I think, Actually, hold on. I think I mean, Brady, Pagula, possibly. Yeah, and I did, I did pick Nadal to lose by this time, didn't I? <laughs> Um, oh, yeah, he also... didn't even feature in any of our predictions. No, so th- that kind of doesn't count anymore. 
Uh, so I can give a proper prediction of Sitsipas and Nadal, can't I? Yeah, feel feel free. Ooh. Well, well, well. I'll have a think about it. <laughs> you look like you're about to nod off, nod off, David. Shall I? Shall I get this show off the road? Yeah, ra- wrap it up. <laughs> Billy Dean did just fall off my knee, right? Um, in a sort of semi-comatose state. Um, so that's your order of play for tomorrow. We'll be back with another podcast. Crumble will still be our Australian Open mascot. Hello, Crumble. Uh, Zeus will still be mine. It's not going well, Zeus, but we <laughs> we ride again tomorrow. <laughs> um, Matt, how's Scouser Mousel doing for you? Pretty good. Djokovic in four came in today. Oh, no. Did you get both of yours wrong, Catherine? You did two no. today. I got the winners, but not the sets, and we're in a sets situation. That's a blow. So, yeah, it's it's a big blow. <laughs> not to worry, eh? not um, to worry. But I've got a I've got a dog to to blame it on now. It's oh. Zeus. Um, <laughs> David, who are you blaming your failings on? Rogue. Rogue. Yeah. No, Rogue. It's me. It's me. I know it's me. All right, and I will up my game. I promise. Our executive producer is Chris Albert Lee, top bloke, and our shout outs, Matt, are four. Leslie Burville Holmes. Oh, hello. Oh, that's a sensational a, name. A little bit like Leslie Bowery. Yeah, that's what popped to my mind. With whom's bust we recorded an emergency podcast last year. Happy yes. memories. Yeah. Yes. Thanks, Leslie. Thank you, Leslie. Evo Gielis. Oh, my Oh, goodness. hello. We are flying today with the old shout-outs. All right, Evo. Hang on, as in Evo G. Ellis, as in, like, Sterling K. Brown, or... No, Evo as in Evo Karlovic. Yeah. And G. Ellis, as in all one, all one word, G-I-E-L-I-S. I bet, I, I Everyone bet Evo... loves a section of the show where we get Matt to spell surnames. <laughs> I reckon Evo Gielis is an F1 driver. What do you think? I feel like could, I would have be. heard of him if he yeah. was an F1 driver. I don't mean actually. I think, I think I mean, David means be. in an alternate universe, Matt. I mean, should be. Mm. Right. Hereafter. Top bloke, anyway. Top bloke. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it's decided, isn't it? You get a, you get a ride if you've got a good name. Very kind <laughs> Only one more to go, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> that one is Anna Keating. Right, oh, Anna. like Ronan. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. I can see where this is going. And no. <laughs> what? You don't want to sing? <laughs> but life's a roller coaster, Matt. Go for it. <laughs> oh. oh, that has been your day night tennis <laughs> podcast. Even Billie Jean actually recoiled when you did that, David. <laughs> Billy Jean is all of us. Um, we've been the Tennis Podcast. If you can face it, come back and listen to us again tomorrow. Day 10 of the Australian Open. We'll speak to you then. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 